Ready in five, four, three, two, one. Merry Christmas and welcome, my friends. It is that time of the week, the time you've anxiously been awaiting. It's a time where you grab your friends, your family, you gather around the old tube radio, if you've still got one. And, uh, well, I guess not. I guess it would be the old tube computer. I don't know. The old they never app. made a tube computer. Well, they did at one time, but it was many years ago. But anyway, Gemini program. That's it. We are What's Your Point, the weekly show that travels down the highways and byways of sports, uh, mostly political, and just cultural things. No, there hasn't been much uh, sports this week, so we won't have too much to talk about. Falcons continue to uh, impress or <laughs> depress. If you're a Falcon fan, I don't think there's a whole lot of them out there anymore. But Yeah, it's amazing uh, how, how, how that wagon. Fans. Uh, this town is consistently ranked among the top ten poorest major market sports towns. That's a shame. Um, the Braves, when they were in their heyday, people turned out to see them. Then it got to be old hat. People stopped going even when they were still winning. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the Falcons, you know, they had a few great years, but um, never got it done in the big game and the NFC Championship, and then had a couple bad years and people bailed on them. Yeah, and they thought this was the year, and uh, it wasn't. Um, I didn't think it – well, I, you know, when you have a new coach, it's, it's always going to be questionable. But they have so many problems with that team. Oh, they yeah, it's no not just defense. Line. Yeah, it's None not just whatsoever. defense. It's uh, And a few teams starting to come back to the forefront that uh, you maybe in the early part of the season didn't expect to be there. Seattle's playing strong. Uh, had a real good game last week. Um, they took somebody apart. I forget who it was, but they uh, – San Francisco. Uh, it? it was somebody uh, – uh, uh, Indianapolis. Yes, yes. And uh, Indianapolis <laughs> still tied for the lead in the division with a sub-500 record. Same can be said in the uh, in the uh, a NFC East. Yeah, we could easily see some uh, some teams with a losing record go to the playoffs this year. Well, it's going to be Saints are not mathematically out of it yet. No, they're not. I mean, but as a Saints fan, but here's the interesting thing about being a Saints fan: Saints fans are loyal to the to the nth degree. There are probably no some of the best fans in the yeah, NFL. They do not bail. They will complain. They will be vociferous. They will love to hate coaches or players. I mean, Browner was on the was on the uh, S list for his, it, but they show, they show always up, have, and they will always continue have. to show up, and that's why I'm proud to be a Saints fan. I've been a Cubs fan much longer than a Saints fan, and. We st we hung in there, Greek. We hung in there, and they they made some great additions. Oh, they, they, this off season, their pitching staff. Justin is, Hayward. Oh my God, man! Who took a shorter term and less money to play for the Cubs than he could have stayed with St. Louis or uh, gone to Washington? Yeah, and I think he sees what the rest of the country is seeing. The Cubs are for real. They've got a very rich farm team. They've got a very good core of players. Um, it's 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 an amazing. It's going to be fun this spring and summer. As a Cub fan, we will not have to say at the end of the at the end of March. Wait till next year. No, <laughs> you won't take the June swoon like they did for so many years. And it's an exciting time to be a Cubs fan because it is. everyone has waited so I mean, long for this day. You know, and and it's really only been in the last three or four years where they've actually started to spend some money. And we see. But the, they the, said they weren't at the beginning until they got things right, and then the money would be there, and they have lived up to what they promised. Refreshing. Unlike 
<clears throat> many of the politicians that are out there right now. And, of course, so much to well, talk about. Well, we know about. one that's spending a lot of money, but he's not gaining a lot of traction. That's it. That's the Jebster, and we're going to get into detail on that. But first, remind you, we are live at Cutter's Cigar Emporium right here on Windward Parkway in Alpharetta, Georgia, from 3 to 5 today. This will be the last show of the year. I know this will depress yet. this will depress Lou to no end that it won't be until the new year. We get a Christmas break. We get a Christmas like and, high school. And New Year and New Year break. I can stay out all night and toilet paper somebody's yard. I mean, the excitement that you bring to this experience is unmatched. That was that was Christmas break when I was in high school. I know, I know. I you know I stay terrible. all I stay all night every night though now. So but it's but this is our last show of the year. It's been an amazing year, Greek. We it's have been an uh, amazing year. Come a long uh, way from um, those first test shows to now being on iTunes and starting to see the downloads roll in. Um, it's been uh, it's been exciting to watch. Well, it's been a great thing, and of course we've learned we, a lot too. The process, oh my gosh. changing our uh, software package after the first couple shows to make it much more efficient. And you know, hats off to Russ Sutton for welcoming us every week. Welcoming welcoming us every week. Um, the people have really been fantastic. The staff here has been amazing. Of course, it's Cutter Cigar Emporium, your portal to the world. World of great times, world of great cigars, world of great friends you have yet to meet. We've met some amazing entrepreneurs. There's our good friend Jay, the bowtie life man. He's over there. Now, i got to tell you, this is what's interesting about Cutters. Jay and I probably agree on 15% of See, he gives us 20, 20%. But yet, some of the most interesting conversations, some of the most, we may be diametrically opposed on issues, but what makes this cigar store so unique is we can agree to disagree, but we bring game to the table regardless. And that's what's absolutely amazing. We don't, every single person in here has a different story to tell, a different experience to tell that we can relate on some things, but a lot of things we can't. But the mere fact that you can discuss them, no matter how heartfelt, without screaming, without yelling, we have an open microphone that's open to anybody that has any opinion that's respectful. They have. There aren't many places left in this world where you can do that. And I, I champion what, uh, what Jay has done especially because here's a guy. Now you think of the bow tie, and you occasionally see a bow tie, but he's taken a bow tie to a whole nother level. He's created he's created an experience, a lifestyle with the bow tie. Where else but in this great country of the United States can a guy with a vision and a dream take it to the kind of level that he's done? We've got Rick uh, sitting next to him. Rick is the guy who took our website from a typical cigar store website to a state-of-the-art, really cool, informative, user-friendly, user-friendly website. And it's all because of the family that's here. We got Brother Joe. Now, Brother Joe's in the financial division. Yet, when you, how many people I have talked to that have talked to Joe and say, God, the, the, guy, the guy's amazing. He's, he's heartfelt. He's, he's generous. He's one of the ones that Bernie he's Sanders is not fond of. Yes. The millionaires and the yeah, billionaires. He's, he's trying to make us all anti-Bernie Sanders. He's trying to make us all millionaires and billionaires at the cost of Bernie Sanders. And, I mean, but... <laughs> but, but but Hillary loves to hate him, but loves the paychecks and the, and the contributions. But all kidding aside, this is what makes Cutter so special. It's been an exciting year. It's been uh, – we followed the candidates really. This year was so extraordinary, Greek, and we talked about it when we started this show. This was the year to start it. 
because we've seen some incredible changes in the political structure in just this year alone. And it's it's going to be the I think the definitive election of of our lifetime. And every because, year, every well, presidential, we, but, they say that. But you're but right. But we have seen changes over the last seven and a half years now that um, have really, really profoundly changed the way this country does business, not only here but abroad. And if we elect someone else who I believe is even more fundamentally committed to some of these changes, we might go down a path that we find a very difficult way to come back from if we have the luxury of That's coming right. back. We are teetering on that precipice now. Uh, I mean, the last time in, in now, I have a few more taxes years. and health care are my two biggest concerns. Well, if you ask most people, it used to be the number one issue uh, was the pocketbook. Whoever appealed to the pocketbook, now whether it's the pocketbook of building your pocketbook or the pocketbook of taking from your pocketbook, whoever hit the proper note on the pocketbook usually was the winner and i think eight years ago we saw that seven years ago we start Certainly. saw that start to change well and now don't forget the the, the economic condition this country was in it wasn't it, it was um, it was in a tough position for sure because the bubble burst um you had a lot of you had a lot of problems banks that were on the brink of failing yes that should have failed that should have failed you're right but i mean but now we're doing something that's now instead of the pocketbook, the pocketbook has almost been relegated to the third, to the third most important issue with national security being at the top. And if you remember the last time I can remember that being such a bellwether issue amongst everyone across the board was in uh, when Jimmy Carter ran against uh, Ronald Reagan. Because yeah, but it was a little we bit were, different situation. We then. were coming back from hostage situation. We were coming back from oil we, prices. And, and we also had a very clearly defined overall enemy. enemy. Right. But, uh, you know, and this is that, interesting. That, that at that time, if you go back to 1979, 1980, there were respected political pundits who were saying that we had lost the Cold War and that the Soviet Union. Do you, you remember yes. all of the graphs? With the, uh, the 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 military advantage they had, like like something oh, yeah. ridiculous, like ten to one in tanks. Yeah. Uh, we our navy had dwindled down. You were in the navy. How, yeah. how, how small had the navy gotten to? Like seventy ships. Yeah, we that were, were battle ready ships. Um, our air force. No, no. Granted, I mean the the the, the Soviet Union never re- retired a fighter plane, so they were still flying MiG 17s. Yeah. But they were putting those planes in the air, and our air force had dwindled down. Ronald Reagan had to build all that back up. Um, now we don't face quite the same enemy, but we face an enemy that in, in many w- respects is more dangerous. Well, it's more dangerous They don't wear a uniform. It's not only the uniform. Here's what's scary, and I think Rick Santorum, as we segue into the debate last night, Rick Santorum really probably crystallized it as simplistically and effectively as any candidate has done to date, and yet he was relegated to the first tier and I listened to countless, uh, you know, talking heads afterwards this morning, reading all the websites. Only a few websites really pointed it out. But Rick Santorum really nailed it. He said, look, when he was asked about the uh, immigration and Syria and everything else, he said, understand this. He said, not all Muslims are jihadis, but all jihadis are Muslim." And then on top of that, he went on to say that 
really the Muslim faith is more than just a theocracy. It's a political, it's a political lifestyle through Sharia law. And Sharia has been around since the 7th century. That's, what, 1,300 years. And, and that's what that's people a, have to remember. That and that's an integral part. In fact, it plays right into the polls that we, we had last week um, where we showed that 51% of Muslims in this country said the country would be better off under Sharia law than under the Constitution. So if you understand that, while, yes, there are moderates, Here's the thing that's interesting, and, and, and I thought about this for quite a while, Greek, because what I'm about to say is probably going to be considered pretty out there. But you realize that Christianity had a reformation. Um, many many of the, the, the Jewish faith has had refor- reformations. All the major political or all the major religious organiz- groups have had reformations to where they are today, and reformations basically adopting into the cultures of today. They've changed things. They've added nuances. They've done things to make it more, more easy on, on their people. The only major religion that I've found that I can't find a reformation is Islam. Islam. And I, I, and I look back and I checked Islam, reformation. I looked it up. I can't find anything or anywhere. There's not a reform no. sect of, of so Islam. No, it's, so it's hard for a for a Muslim who's truly a Muslim to say that they they can't agree with Sharia. And they don't really hold anybody's feet to the fire. You never see a representative of Islam uh on a talk show being able uh, or being asked to explain that or or or, or uh, explain where the moderate sect of their faith lies. How does it have a place? Where does it have a place within the... Uh, now, the look, every religion has their whack concept. jobs, and believe me, Christianity, the nation, is, no ex- Christianity no. is no exception. I'm sure in the Jewish faith they can find their extreme fanatics. But here's what's interesting, is that for the most part, those extreme fanatics are ostracized by those who are the core of the religion. They are, they are not listened to. They are not accepted. They're just part of it they but don't hold there. power that's right and just like the nation of islam and 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 the whole situation with louis farrakhan there are people that totally agree with the guy and totally think he's right but he's considered by muslims that i've spoken with to be on the fringe far out fringe just like the catholics that believe that the only church has got to be roman it's got to be you know, it's got to be like Mel Gibson wanted. He built his own church so that it would all be spoken in, in ancient tongues and everything else. Those are, But the core fundamental religions have all reformed, and I cannot find. And maybe we'll start the conversation on this show. It makes it very difficult for moderate Muslims who, who, who don't want to ascribe to Sharia. It's a basic tenet of their faith. And... There's no room for them, or there's no place for them to say, I don't want to abide by Sharia without going against their Koran and going against their beliefs. It's a very, very tough decision and a very, very tough religion. And I wonder if there will ever be a reformation of Islam. And I think if there was, we wouldn't be having the problems we're having today. I'm looking it up right now, and uh, you go through and you find a few people who have written columns on it, but you really can't find any uh, links to uh 
an Islamic sect or an Islamic segment that uh, has come out as a as a reformed group. Now, those who have moved to the United States, a lot of them have moved here because they don't want to be involved in Sharia. They want to be involved more in a constitutional state, but they still want to maintain their traditions and everything else. I think that's where the problem is, and I think that's what makes what your point, to your point, I think what makes it very, very interesting is that we've got to decide, and, and I think this is where all the candidates, and, and I thought last night's debate was, debate was pretty telling, um, we've got to deal with that issue, and how do we deal with it? And I find that while, of course, Trump always goes to the extreme, which you expect from him, he picks that low-hanging fruit. He picks that topic that is a front center on everybody's mind that don't want to say anything because he doesn't care about political correctness, obviously. But he, he goes to the extreme of saying all Muslims should not be allowed in this country. I think what Rand Paul did was much better. I think you pick the states that are – You have uh, to do it geographically. You have to do it geographically. I, I totally agree and, with and that. And, that's, and, and when people try to defend it by using the Carter example, well, Carter certainly did it geographically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, it was Iran. Right. Well, it was Iran, and it was actually um, only Iran. Yeah. Um, and, and student visas were denied and, and such. Um, the, 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 the thing that I don't understand why anyone, and Rick Santorum has tried, but he just doesn't seem to get any traction, and I think it goes back to his problem with the, with the abortion issue. That, it is. That he's been beaten up for so many years on that issue that he's not really given any mainstream credibility um, which I believe he deserves. Um, and in foreign affairs, he's top notch. He, he's a very, very smart man. And and my my sister and her my my sister's husband have had business dealings with his family, and they're a very solid American family with a great story. Uh, but but going back to the to, to the Muslim issue, uh, what what I wish someone could articulate in in a in a on a, on on an effective national stage is that this is not a new problem. This is not a problem unique to the United States or no. to Western <coughs> Europe. Well, in in a sense, it, it is a little bit the volume, the voluminous Europe. numbers. But it, it, it goes back 1,200 years to the, the, the their constant desire for conquest, and and you can go back literally to within a hundred years of Muhammad and just look at the territory that, that they annexed within a hundred years of his death to see that this is a, an aggressive problem that they have always run over civilizations that have taken a more um, I guess you would say civil or, or more di diplomatic approach to dealing with them they overrun those people and we have to go back and look at history and see that this is an aggressive problem that will not take care of itself it will not go away until you decide that you're going to do as has been done in the past you aggressively attack it like the well, like the Crusades. I mean, that's what they did. They were poked and prodded so long, so much territory was taken, and and it came from different aspects of of Europe. You had mm -hmm. you you finally had to see Western European people from France and Great Britain come down through the French corridor to push them back. You also had Albanian Eastern Orthodox Christians come down through what is now Albania and, and Turkey and push back. They were fighting in, in Greece and Northern Africa and Sicily for hundreds and hundreds of years to push these people back and, and, and take back land that had already been conquered by the Moors. It's not a problem that's going to go away. And I think, I think, though, that this is – and this is where I give Trump his due. He brought this issue to the forefront. It started with immigration back in June when we were talking about illegal immigration. But moving forward, it's become it's, – it's morphed into a hideous side 
that we that he talked about that many people talked about after the issue was finally brought out to the public forum is that you must figure out a way to vet certain individuals from coming into this country. Well, we certainly don't have that right now, do oh, we, Kevin? No. In, in light of what we have seen this past week uh, from the administration. Three or four days ago, last week, early last week, I got this horrific 72 members of DHS are on the no-fly list. That's the member members of the Department of Homeland Security. You caught the article. You republished the article to remind people. I mean, this is... Department of Homeland Security has this many people on the no-fly list. And, kind of scary. And when the Oversight Committee brought them before Congress to ask them just simple numbers, how many people have left the United States, traveled to these places, and come back? They have no idea. They cannot no put clue. a number. They, they can't even give an estimate. And this was the person who was asked to come before them and, and testify. She had plenty of time. She exactly, and and they have no idea about the. They have they can't even put a, a rough estimate on how many people are going back and forth, coming in and out of this country, traveling to these places. If we can't get a handle on those basic numbers, you have to discretion is the better part of valor. You cannot take a chance at this point because what's going to happen is, even if only a fraction of of the people who come across are radicalized. You're only talking about a very few people who, who need to be radicalized to cause tremendous damage. We brought up the stats last week on the poll that was from, from an organization that was very credible, and they were, they were going exactly at the uh, Muslims in this country, asking them questions, finding out numbers and percentages. Fully 8% said that they thought violence against anyone to make Sharia the law is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, if you take that, take that 8% and extrapolate it down to just round it down to 5%. Now, last week, I gave the number 1.5 to 1.6 million Muslims, and I got pilloried. That's not true. It's 2.5. Well, it's 2.5 if you add in all the children. Then it's 2.5. What I was talking about, and I should have clarified it, so now I am adults. clarifying. Adults. Because they're the ones right now although actively isis is we posted the article where they had a training seminar for three to five year olds how to strap on bombs how to walk in how to pull the pin we've seen women what happened to san bernardino so and you're seeing it in france with the stabbings yes i mean it's 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 non-stop so we need to have a better vetting system before we open our doors and our border the problem is going to come home to roost in this country in ways that people can't even imagine. Do you realize what it will do to the economy if people have to start going through metal detectors to go into grocery stores or shopping malls? Can you imagine? God forbid, and, and we're, we're all, almost through with the Christmas season, so I don't want to wish anything bad would happen. But can you imagine what would happen to the economy if something were to if there were to be an event at a mall during Christmas and people would stop going to the malls, what that would do to the economy? Well, and, and, you and look what happened. You look what happened right after 9-11. I mean, you know, Bush had to literally come out and say, hey, we got to we, we got to support our we got to support our businesses. We got to continue to fly. We got to do these things because he saw what could have been yeah. a horrible 
incident. Can you imagine if no, nobody I, flew I remember. anymore? My, my sister, that, that was September 11th, and my sister and her family would not come to Atlanta for Thanksgiving or Christmas because they were afraid to fly during a holiday period. They, they wound up coming Super Bowl weekend that year. Um, they, they were afraid to get on a plane. Well, this is, these are, see, these are some of the things that we need to talk about, and I think this is where Santorum really struck a chord last night. I thought in the first debate, I thought Santorum won the debate with that. Um, uh, there were other issues, another issue that got brought up, and it, and it goes directly to the military. Of course, you got Lindsey Graham, my God. Why doesn't he just go home? Uh, he's, <laughs> he's an irritating person to listen to. He, his, he, does he have 1% right now? No, I think last night. Uh, last it's night, it's, it's like three-tenths of 1%. Yeah, three-tenths of 1%. It's, I mean, this guy. Where is he getting his, his money from? Who's supporting this man? He John McCain, that's it. He doesn't need much money because he's not going out in stump speeches. Do you ever see him out doing stump speeches? No. If he does, it's in South Carolina. Um, you know, or in the Carolinas where it's close to home. I don't think but, he's going to win South Carolina. To be no. I, I think that might be Trump's first victory because I don't think he's going to win Iowa and I don't think he'll win New Hampshire. It'll be interesting in New Hampshire. I'm not quite sure. They're, they're kind of a unique breed up in New Hampshire. They love to, they love to take the, the wackos and the outsiders and, and run with them because that's, you know, they, they're, they're one state away from Bernie Sanders country. Yeah, I mean, so I could see where Trump Trump might do all right up there, but – Iowa Here, looks like it's leaning towards Ted Cruz. It is, and and I think and and what was interesting. Santorum won Iowa four years ago. So yeah. it's a little bit more of a fundamental state. It is, and and a here's bit of evangelicals are strong there. Here's the thing too that that people it was rather telling last night. I love to listen to the to the um, what do they call them the uh, the core group of people the the the, the, the that come in and sit down and. They, uh, they're, they're the testers, like Frank Lunds does a focus group, you know, the focus group people. And they come in and they say, okay, one of the things they do before they come in is they sit down, there were 28 of them, and I said, I think they all say, who is your allegiance right now going into tonight's debate? And then afterwards, he asks, how many of you changed your mind? Well, at the end of the debate last night, which is kind of the way I felt, I felt like if you were a Trump supporter, you got all the meat and potatoes you wanted. I think if you were a Cruz supporter, you certainly got the meat and potatoes you wanted. If you're a Rubio supporter, you probably got the meat and potatoes you wanted. Christie supporter. So I thought at the end of the day it was Carson kind of Carson was not so strong. You no, know, Carson Carson's had a rough time. And it's not I mean, the guy is brilliant. The guy is cares. He's, but you can tell he's just not um, he's not great at, a, at public speaking. You, no. you have to be somewhat of a showman to get to elected. Be. And he, he's he's very cerebral and you can see that he's always thinking about his answer. And that, that delay is just too pronounced, I think, on a stage to really make a, a great impact. So I think he probably suffered somewhat last night. Jeb Bush supporters, the few of them that are still left, they got a little – They probably he had probably had his best debate last but night. But he still stammers and stutters. And, and he was just – And he looks intimidated when he's up there. I, I'm sorry to say it, but he looks like he's uh, a little bit afraid of, of – And of, he looks like the guy that's getting ready to go see his proctologist for the first time. I got to be here, but I really don't want to be. And he had that look last night. In fact, I, I commented in my notes when they panned the cameras down the line of, of candidates, he was standing there kind of bow-legged and kind of his arms bowed out like he was trying to project this toughness. Bad, yeah, this toughness and badass attitude. But then when he got into it with Trump, and Trump did what Trump always does, oh, yeah, well, yeah. I may. You started off next to me. You kind of moved down yeah, a little bit. You, you've moved down, which I thought was pretty funny. But he also came up with, well, I got 40%, you got 3%. So, And then Jeb came back with the classic, 
uh, I, I know what I am, if I'm this and you're this or whatever, and he turns around and he says, well, that doesn't matter. Well, <laughs> you know, it does matter if you're running for office and you're trying to get the nomination. It matters a lot. And Jeb, he's got Jeb too much of a is too much of his father and not enough of his mother. I think that, that W, Bush 43, was a lot more like his mother. There was a lot more fight in him. I, I, I also think W is a lot smarter than he'll, yeah, I think history will, will reflect that, that he was a smarter politician. Um, than and he brother. wanted it. Yeah. He really wanted it. And he, he wanted it bad, and he, and he act like he wanted it, and he fought like he wanted it. And that's where I think Jeb is, is just sliding, sliding down the, the banister of, uh, to the abyss. And, 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 and Rubio sits there and, and has to be looking at his watch going, come on, when are you just going to throw in the towel and give me your supporters? And, you know, it's interesting because uh, one of my favorite guys to listen to, Mark Levin, brought up a great point. He said, listen, he said before the debates, he said, you just watch. At the end of the debates, you're going to see the Carl Roves and all those rhinos at Fox are going to say Rubio won. Before I, before I even hear one word from the debate, I'm going to tell you who won and who probably didn't have such a great time. They're going to say Trump didn't have such a great time, Cruz didn't have such a great time, but Rubio and, uh, and Christie, because they're more favored by the rhinos. And sure enough, it was like he was a prophet. Well, I mean, I and, and the thing was, I don't think personally, and, and as much as I support Cruz, Cruz, that was not his best debate last night. Probably wasn't his best, but he, he, he made, he, he looked very presidential. We're getting so close now to, to the period where, where, the, where these primaries are going to start happening and they're going to fall in such rapid su succession that you have to start looking the part. And he had great command and great presence last night. Substantively, the little bickering back and forth between Rubio, I don't think that really helps anyone. No. But, but he, he didn't do it in, a, in a, uh, an argumentative, I hate to use the word, but pissy way. Right. You know? he, he, he looked like he, had, he was composed, and, he, and he, he looked like he had the gravitas that we always hear about. He looks presidential. Rubio, I have to say this about him, he is a smooth talker. Yes, he is. He, he looks very composed. That's going to help him. I thought Carly Fiorina also last night looked very controlled and very po uh, very But she poised. got into the, she slipped, in my mind, she slipped into the Hillary Clinton mode. Hey, hey, what about me? Well, what about me? And what the, the comment she made uh, about the you get women to get things done. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay. Once again, she's trying to pull the women card now, the, which I, I get it. That's cute to say in a group of your supporters. But yeah. when you're on a national stage and you're going to play the gender card like you're chief opponent not not a smart move no and i thought she was more much more aggressive in a negative way because i will say and this is one of the strikes i hit against uh cruz last night he overdid the aggressiveness on one particular point where he just he just talked the moderators down and he was going to get his point out by god and he went way over way, time. O way over the time and i thought if he had ended it at the buzzer or close to it i think he would have won the point but by going as long over is, is almost Th like That's an excellent face. point. The, the, that's a, it, people who watch debates will tell you this, and I'm sure you know this with the experience you yes. have. The longer you go past your allotted time, the more resentment you build up in that audience. So it was a short block, but it was the first time I had seen him where he, where he lost it his way. He didn't lose it like Trump. Well, yeah, well, you only have 40%. You're moving. He wasn't like that. It was, it was in a debate style. Where he said, I don't give a damn who you are. I'm going to finish my point, and I don't care how long it goes. 
that's a debater's way of in your face. So while I think it, it might have it might have got some people to question, but here's what's interesting. After the after this was all said and done, the focus group they said, Who got the highest who got the highest spike? And it was Ted Cruz. He got the highest spike on a comment that he made. And then they went back and he said, okay, how many of you have an opinion about Cruz? And they all, almost all of them raised their hand. Okay, what is it? In one word, I heard presidential, tough, honest, concerned, knowledgeable. Every adjective out of almost all of the people in there. So at the end, when he said, how many of you changed your votes? Eleven did. Seven went to Cruz, and they came from Trump and Rubio. And Rubio picked up a couple from Trump and one from Cruz. But the overwhelming amount of people that were willing to say they're changing their vote was for Cruz. And I think that's very strong. Well, I've always thought that as we get closer and closer to the, the primary season that he was going to pick up momentum because I think that I, I, I think it's going to Trump supporters are going to find it much easier to follow him than anyone else. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't really trust the polls. Either do I. Either just Gallup. You, you, you can look at so many. Well, Gallup's not even in the business. I know anymore. because they, they said I, we can't give you any kind people of have, people have gotten to the point of their lying. They're lying on the polls. You're right. And, and, and what I sense and just this is completely gut feeling. I have no mathematic or scientific way of backing this up is that there are more and more people each day that get very frustrated with Trump's juvenile approach to this. You brought that and, up before and, the and, show, and, and you're exactly right. And, and they find a way where, where they say, you know what, he, he's brought up some issues that are important issues. That resonate with me. But, but, but his, 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 his reasoning, his solutions, his, um, his, his, his demeanor is just not what, what, what I am comfortable with in a president. But this guy over here named Ted Cruz, he seems to have a solid grasp on it, and he seems to look presidential. So I think that people might have an easier time going to him. It will and, be. And I think it's going to help him. And I, I, think, I really do. I Especially think, if he gets a boost in Iowa. I think Rubio is, is looking to Jeb Bush to say, look, I am the next standard bearer for the Rhinos. Uh, because if you look at his voting record, a lot of the times when he did vote, when he does vote, when he does vote he voted for the Gang of Eight. Just about everything that was critical, he was voting along the Mitch McConnell, John Boehner way. And this is what this is what got me last night was, and I knew this was coming because he had been he had been talking this for the last four or five weeks. How you don't want to vote for Cruz because he's not for the military, he's not for the Iron Dome, he's not for Israel because he voted against the defense bills these last three years. Well. If you listen to that statement, well, yeah, if he voted against the defense bill, then obviously he doesn't care about the military. Couldn't be further from the truth. A classic example is, is and, and Cruz brought it out very distinctly. He said, when I was elected a senator from the state of Texas, I told them that if I was in office, I would not vote for any legislation. And I can't remember specifically what it was. I'll look it up here in my notes. But... He basically said, look, so I didn't vote for it because I told my constituents I wasn't going to vote for it, and I didn't. And also, I didn't want to vote for it, and he didn't mention this, but he should have. There was a big land grab by the federal government that was built into that, where they were going to seize hundreds of thousands. What what was tacked on to the bill. And that's the thing. 
you get 1,500 to 2,000 page bills thrown at you 24 to 48 to 72 hours, which was a trick of Boehner. It was a trick of Harry Reid, Mitch McConnell. You can't possibly. So I would rather have someone vote against the bill until they knew what was in it instead of making it law and then finding out, oh, well, we shouldn't have done that. Well, well, that's the kind of thing you have the opportunity to explain when you have four candidates, not right. nine candidates, and you're able to One go minute. into a, a, a more um, more uh, detailed explanation right. uh, about how these bills come before a, a Senate vote. And, and it's the old back-slapping one hand washes the other kind of thing. They tack stuff on at the last minute because they know it's got a better chance of passing if, if, if the bill is, is, has, has strong support. And, and when you have more time to explain that, I think Ted Cruz will be able to give him more effective explanation of why he votes things down. I thought he did a very uh, effective job of explaining why he voted against the metadata thing and, 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 and yes. how— how we actually are able now to, to actually have access to more phones than we had before or, or with the proposed legislation where primarily those were landline uh, surveillance and right. now we're having cell phones. And what, what terrorists are using more and more often are these computer, yeah. uh, computerized encryption. Uh, encrypted phones, sort of like um, Vonage type mm -hmm. things, where we're now we're having access to that that we didn't have before. But when you only have a minute to a minute and a half to give an explanation, it's tough to really get into a more elaborate. And for those of you, for those of you who are making your decisions, and it's still too early. I think it's way too early to make your final. I decision. haven't really a hundred. I, I, I'm probably ninety percent there with Cruz. I'm ninety nine percent there for Cruz, but doesn't mean that it can't change well, if something were to come up. But I, but I've heard a year now, and you and I. And Eric have been more on top of this stuff than the average person because we obviously we spend 20 to 30 hours a week looking at this stuff. So we get to see all sides. Um, the thing is, if you is there anybody that believes after hearing Ted Cruz that he is against supporting Israel? No. no. Does anybody believe he, he was against the Iron Dome to help strengthen Israel? Absolutely not. Do you think there's any means at all? that he would not support our military in any way, shape, or form. No. Of course not. Rubio is trying to paint him that way because of certain votes. And I like what Cruz said. Uh, what did he say about what is it about the firemen? Um, oh, the arsonists. Like the arsonists. Lumping a fireman in. And the arsonists together because they're both at the scene of the crime. You know, I mean, you can't. And, and that was a brilliant, humorous, funny way. And, and, he's, and this is the thing about Cruz. He's got a good sense of humor, a very sharp and witty sense of humor. You, you went back to FDR's, what FDR's uh, grandfather's comment. Um, I mean, the guy is sharp, but he's very, very focused on the issues that are very important. And, and I think last night, and it takes wonks probably like us to maybe, because we have the time to do it, I think Cruz differentiated himself very much from Rubio on national defense. And the reason I say that is because Cruz came right out and said, look, you know what? If we got to keep Assad in, so be it. Because sometimes you have to deal. An, an argument that Mark Levin has made on several occasions. Well, Levin's uh, done it. Uh, Rush has done it. A lot of conservatives, thinking conservatives, have said you, you, that you deal with the devil. You do what's best for your country. That's the 
Thank you, Greek. You said it eloquently. That was it. You do what's you're best not, for your you're not, you're, Your primary obligation in the world is not to create democracies. It's to cre create a, uh, an atmosphere that's conducive to the best interests of your country. That's exactly right. And sometimes, listen, now, then people will say, okay, Kevin or Colonel, you, you were all for, you know, getting rid of Saddam Hussein. You were right there. But it was different. I wasn't getting rid of Saddam Hussein for anything other than what we thought, what MI6 thought, what the Mossad thought, what everybody thought he had weapons of mass destruction and he would unleash them. That's why. Not to change the, the, the focus. Democracy or, was... Or, the, or, or to get into nation building. And Cruz is, Cruz is... He is very much like Ronald Reagan. He doesn't want boots on the ground everywhere. He didn't say put boots on the ground in Syria or Iraq right now. He said bomb them. And then Rubio comes back and says, well, you didn't vote for the defense bill, so how are you going to create those bombers? Well, I would have turned it around because because what Rubio has said is we are more, we are a benevolent country. We are a country that's expected to be the beacon of democracy. So there are a lot of countries out there that need democracy to flourish. Do you know what that's telling me? There isn't a budget big enough. And then when are you going to decide well, who gets who gets democracy and who doesn't? Democracy, Your nation building. Democracy, generally speaking, works in developed countries with an educated populace. Uh, we got into this problem going back to the, the post-World War II era in Vietnam with Ho Chi Minh. Um, mm. had, had Truman had the foresight to understand that what Ho Chi Minh was wanting was freedom or independence for his country mm. and been less concerned with the fact that he was more of a totalitarian leader and just given them the independence, we would have never gone down that road in Vietnam. He would have probably been a dictator, and but he would have been a friendly dictator towards us instead of being one with Russia and China. Exactly, and that's where Cruz gets it and Rubio does not. Rubio's all for, hey, you know, democracy is the best for everybody. No, it's not. No, it, 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 it's like you said, it's for an educated or sometimes I would question whether the society is educated anymore. But, but overall, we're more educated. But it's not for everybody. And we've had to deal with dictators in the past that were not great and, and, people. And we come from a, a national culture of independence and freedom. <laughs> that, that, that is the exception rather than the rule in vast, vast amounts of the world. We, we have a very unique history in this country of, of individual freedoms and independence. And, and, and I, I was reading something, as I'm always obsessed with the Second Amendment, about the, the, the history and the culture of Europe and why these people in Europe today don't have a problem with not owning guns, because they've never been allowed to own That's guns. That's right. <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> monarchs that That's didn't allow. No monarch for, for, wanted their people exactly. armed. Exactly. But, but, it, but it, it, it also it crosses over into other aspects of our freedoms, where the rest of the world is not used to that. And we can't always be under the assumption that we can automatically grace these people with our concepts and, 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 and our beliefs and expect it to work. It doesn't work in, in large parts of the and world. And the only ones that are going to make a democracy work, the only ones are the people. We did it. We didn't have a democracy. We didn't have anything. But if you come but from centuries of, feudal, uh, of a feudal lifestyle, you don't understand the principles of democracy and why they're significant. But in the information age we have today, it's significantly more understanding of the, of the freedoms of democracy. But socialists have so blurred the line between the nanny state and the, and the worker well, that it's not the old feudal system they're fighting. It's the gimme 
Well, well, well society we, we have to make a differentiation, and, and this probably will come up at some point in the election. What, what, what socialists believe is that freedom of equality is not of opportunity. It's of stuff. Yes. Where you divide materialistic things and, 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 and incomes, and everyone is equal. You share the misery, as some people like yes. to say. Whereas democracy and independence in a republic, in a constitutional republic, is freedom of opportunity. And we haven't always been great about that in this country. No. We're still working on freedom of opportunity for a lot of people. But that's what it is, and that's what we need to strive for. It's not a reapportionment. Right, and there is more opportunity here. There's still, this is still, uh, and I can't think of another country on the face of the earth where a person would want to come to and have more opportunity to flourish. Right, and regardless, like you said, do we have issues? Absolutely. Every culture does, every civilization does, and why do we have issues? Because we're human beings. There's always going to be those who want and those who don't want to. There's always going to be people that are criminals. There's always going to be people that are racist, bigots, homophobes. Every culture, every place, they have them. So the difference is they don't talk about theirs. The media blasts our, ours well, all over well, the place. Well, we also live here, so we tend to we tend to sort of uh, believe that everything is is, is 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 the problems are all centralized here because we live and we deal with them on a daily basis. There aren't a lot of people who are are, are tuned to Swedish news twenty four seven and can find out the racial problems that they're having over there or in other parts of the world with with, um, with with the economic systems that are starting to implode around them because they've they've gone on these socialist experiments. We, we, we look at things just from within our own everyday world. and, and we Our own sphere. And, and, that, and that's, that's human nature. The other problem I think we have, and I, I mentioned this briefly on a post I, I, I posted earlier this week, is the average American, forget you and me, forget the average guy sitting around here listening, the average American going about there, you know, Joe Bag of Donuts, uh -huh. 30 minutes of news a week. Mm -hmm. And they get it primarily from the four major networks being ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN. Fox has a primetime monopoly, but those are not news programs. Those right. are commentator programs. The average news source and the average time spent for the average American 30 minutes a week and these are the people going to the polls that these politicians are going to have to convince to vote for them and and as we get closer to those primaries they're going to have to do a more concise job a more presidential pre uh, presentation of their ideas and their beliefs that is going to be critical because those are the people you have to convince to vote for you i hate to say it but you know, the, the, the facts are what the facts are. <laughs> and one of the things that we do is we try to not only give you opinion, but we try to back them up with the facts. And that was one of the polls, as we talked about the polls of the Muslim community in this country. It's very scary. And, and, if, and going back to that, if there's 5%, if 5% of 2 point, well, let's go with the adults, 1.6 million Muslims, 5% have no issue with violence towards anyone in to bring sharia law in that's a problem five percent of a million six hey five years from now six years from now if iran gets the bomb more specifically dirty bombs mm -hmm. all you need is five or six people that's it walking into a stadium or a shopping mall and mm -hmm. you've got tens of thousands of casualties 
Well, and, and that's the thing. That is why it is so critically important that we have the discussion. Now, the great thing about discussion is you're going to get opposing points of view. You have to decide what's in the best interest for you. More importantly, you've got to think outside the box of you. You've got to think what's, what's in the best interest of the country. And we need to have a significantly better vetting system. We significantly have to close the borders. We significantly have to stop H-1B visas except in extraordinary circumstances until we can put a good grasp. And history has shown many times we've shut down immigration completely because we've needed assimilation. We That's need the key. to get back to what you've said many times on this show. The concept of immigration is for the benefit of the United States, not for the benefit of the world. Exactly. And that's where Rubio so misses it. And he was very clear. And, and that's his weakest point, I think, is, is, is his stand on immigration. It's not resonating with the American people. And we don't have enough money. In, if we took all the money that we get, what was it, $17 trillion this year we got into the, uh, into the national coffers? If you took all of that, you couldn't build a strong enough military to pick a half a dozen countries to go in and change administrations and regimes. You can't. You see it with all it. types of foreign affairs. You see it with 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 democracy and nation building, as you mentioned. I look at it in what came out of the uh, the global whatever they called it climate summit. Oh, that we're a country of 308 million people. Okay, take that into perspective. When you look at China, 1.3 billion people we will commit economic suicide if we decide that we are going to handicap our economy our energy resources in order to save the planet when you have a country of 1.3 billion people where at noontime it looks like dusk because they don't care do you and know what India one of the number one selling things in china right now is liquid oxygen they're buying miniature oxygen containers so they can walk around in the streets. Now, do you think for a minute that, in, in fact, one of the things that was absolutely despicable about this, this whatever you want to call it, climate change agreement, because they had to change the wording in it several places so it didn't become a treaty, but there is no, absolutely nothing that goes against anybody that chooses not to do it. Exactly, and China would not be held to the same original restrictions or, or time constraints that they wanted to put into this. China is holding fast to their 30-year, um, I guess you would call it, what they, the, what they might do in 30 years. Right. Uh, but they will not budge off that number. And they've already said it's not going to change. We're going to do, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll look at it. We'll take a look at it. And then when you come back and reevaluate, if it's the same, oh, well. And they said, well, there's not going to be any sanctions. Okay. So, in other words, this was another feckless, useless, total waste of time. He came and away with nothing, and he bragged about everything. That, God, Greek, you have been on a but, roll but, today. But that's, well, it's Christmas time. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm infused with the Christmas spirit. But right. Uh, it, what, 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 what to me is so pathetic is to walk away from something that, first of all, is much ado about nothing in the, glo in, in, in the context of what we have to deal with uh, right now on, on, on a global level. Um, to come away from such a meaningless summit to begin with, with a piece of paper that means nothing, and then brag about it when you have other issues that are so much more important, to me is, is a man who is completely detached from reality. 
is a man who is driven by ideology and not the betterment of the country. And ideology trumps everything. And when ideology trumps everything, now, you know, of course, some of my friends were saying on, on uh, texting me last night, well, you know, Ronald Reagan was a big hawk. Here's the difference. You, and we talked about this before the show. Ronald Reagan put boots on the ground in one place. This is a trivia question. Does any, eh, you gave the oh, answer well, away. I thought you were asking me. No, but there was only one place where Ronald Reagan put boots on the ground. One place in eight years, Grenada. And do you know why Grenada? Because we had students over there that were uh, in medical school, and there was some type of a Castro-Marxist uh, government, government that had overthrown the government, but it was an island too close to the United States for Reagan's comfort. So he went in in three days, knocked it out. In fact, th I thought the brilliant thing was he put Clint Eastwood in there. You know, he went in there, and, and him and his, and his guys knocked it all out in just a, in just a couple of days. Well, but all kidding aside, what Reagan did was – you remember Gaddafi. He dealt with Gaddafi for well, a long time. Well, I was getting ready to say, don't forget, when you talk about not putting boots on the ground, Reagan took boots off the ground. Look what happened in Beirut after the bombing. And he, now, a hawk would have dug his heels in, and would have, we, we would have had ten times more of the troops over there, and we would have been shooting and fighting and killing people. He pulled those guys out, reassessed the, the situation, and then went in with a better plan. Gaddafi, as you're getting ready to say, bided his time used technology, and bombed him one time. Ki killed his two of his family members. Yep. He also, and this is something that I think was, was a stroke of brilliance because I believe that you strike the fear into your enemy. You bring them to their knees. Flying SR-71s that fly three times the speed of sound, faster than a 30-06 bullet, flying SR-71s at 500 feet off the ground, exploding the eardrums of people who are out in the streets protesting against the United States, deafening thousands of people who are outraged at the United States and, 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 and protesting in these, these massive protests that they had on, out in the streets. Boom. And what went, happened after that? Gaddafi? They, they, they went away. Hey, that's it. He, it he, went away. And he kept, now, granted, he was a piece of, of, of crap as a human being, as a dictator, as a murderer, as a butcher. But you know what? It was in our best interest not to lose any treasured, treasured but, but, bodies and souls from our military to try to change the government. But, and, and look what happened. This administration well, decides say, they're going to go in and change the call, government. You call him a butcher, but more lives are lost in the anarchy that follows. That when, the than void when, that's created. Right. And so what happens? This administration says we're going to take Gaddafi down. They take Gaddafi down. They said, and I, I one of the one of the analysts was very funny. He said it's it's like the, uh, it's like it's like the elf on the shelf, you know. How many elves? They're non. Where are they? All these fighters that were going to take over and free Libya, and it was going to be a, a democracy. No, they they're not there. We they, keep getting told they're there, but they're like the mystery. They're like the, they're, they're like all these people that. That, that don't exist, but it sounds good. It's like you have to say it to justify it. And then what happens now, Libya is more ISIS uh, and, and more controlled by radicals than ever before. Look what happened when we, uh, when, with, with their uh, brilliant stroke and letting the Egyptians do their thing and, and let them support the overthrow of, uh, of the dictator there. That worked out real well for us. It worked out real well for the Egyptians. The, the Muslim the general, Brotherhood. Yeah. The generals had to come in and take it back, and only because they had superior force. 
That's the only reason they were able to do it. So you can't, and this is the Rubio, this is the, this is the uh, Graham, this is the, this is the, this is the fallacy of their national policies. Where Reagan, what he did was, like you said, and also he didn't fire a shot at Russia. Didn't fire a shot, no. but they were terrified of what he may have and what he may do. Well, he also understood the economic strength and the industrial strength of the United States. And, and I forget the exact quote, but it was along the lines, paraphrasing, of we'll spend them to their knees. That if, if he wants to go toe-to-toe with our rearming of our country in the wake of what Carter had done and keep pace with us, we'll put them out of business. We'll spend them to their knees. And ultimately, it happened. The people of, of the Soviet Union weren't going to stand by and, and, and stand in bread lines for four and six hours because they were trying to keep pace with our Navy. Well, I, th- I saw a great, great line in September 25th of 2015. President Obama came out and said, Assad must go. He spoke before the U.N. and said, under no uncertain terms can this world body continue to have uh, – Bashar Assad as the president of Syria. He's got to go. And that was the line all the way up until Russia got involved. Then Putin, he even said when Putin came in and started putting more planes and more troops and everything else, Kerry went over to tell Putin, Assad's got to go. We'll, we'll work with you, but Assad's got to go. Putin said, no, he's not going. So Kerry came out yesterday and said, it's not a prerequisite that Assad's got to go now. So now the administration, first Kerry said he had to, then the president said, or said we didn't need to, then the president came out and said, no, he's going, and then Kerry came out and said, no, he's going, and now Putin has said, no, he's not, and Kerry comes out yesterday and says, well, that's not a prerequisite. This is what we're talking, Reagan never would have done that. Well, Reagan was was president in an, coming in, into it, or coming out of an era where we had a, a, a just one mistake after another in foreign policy where we tried for years adding more troops, adding more troops to Vietnam, and just we were throwing more of a military solution at a problem that wasn't going to resolve itself militarily. But they weren't willing to do what it would take to win. They were cutting it off at the 38th parallel. You can't bomb past here. So well, our troops were going over there and being hamstrung, and the communists well, knew it. We have no reason to believe that a military solution now would be any different, though. No. And here's the problem that I see right now in the Middle East. Which side do you pick here? Uh, it, you're in a very precarious situation with, with which w- neither one of these sides are great friends of ours. No. So, so you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And I wonder what your thoughts are, and we'll get into this maybe a little bit more in the next hour. Because it's that time. It is. It's, it's, we're one minute away from that time, the holiday edition of that time. Right. Um, where do you go with this? What's, how do you proceed? I want to know what your thoughts are. How, what, what side do you pick? Because That's you're, a great you're, question. You know, at one side you're dealing with, with Shiites in Iran that have no— Shias versus Sunnis. Right, and, and the Sunnis— with, with the, the problems that they're having and, and, and where it's being funded, well, I, I, I don't think there is an easy solution. And I'd, I'd like, I think it would be refreshing. And, and in a way, I kind of like Rand Paul because he's honest about that. Yes. And he brought up that point last night, which I think was his, I thought that was his best debate by far. And first of all, he got his hair under control. 
he's that's the first thing I noticed when he came out. He looked presidential. His hair wasn't, you know, all over the place. He had it combed. He had it. He had a ticket, so he looked sharp. But but Paul did Paul did bring up a good point, and I thought, like I said, I thought he had his best debate ever. I thought Jeb Bush had his best debate ever, but neither one of them are going anywhere. I thought Carly, substantively, she was on point, as she always has been, but I think she came off too much of a shrew this time. Pulling the gender card was not typical Fiorina. Um, so I thought this was not her best debate. Um, Chris Christie had a better debate, but he, he was a one-trick pony. I was a federal prosecutor. I'm, I'm an executive. I'm an executive. That's the only way we can get things done. I know how to get things done. Well, he talks about defense, but what he doesn't talk about is how about all the federal liberal judges you appointed? When he's been questioned about that on the side, he said, well, I had to give and take somewhere. Well, are we going to give and take on Supreme Court justices in there, uh, Mr. Christie? And gun control, you ain't no, you ain't no. no lover of the Second Amendment. But on that issue, for that debate, Christie was at the best. Once again, he's not going anywhere. So, to me, you got some, you got some interesting information. Uh, I think if you had a candidate you liked, you're more cemented. But I think those who are still looking, I think Cruz and Rubio probably did the best of the night to pick up some potential voters. And I think of the two, I think Cruz overall picked up more as shown in the in the focus group immediately following. Going forward, do you think the Republican committee is going to come out and make a definitive cutoff point where we say at some point this is not going to be eight or nine people they're on have stage? To. We're going with five or four at some point? You know point? what I think they're hoping for? I think they're hoping by the end of the second, um, by the end of New Hampshire. That they'll, they'll that take care of the, the problem that, will take care of itself. The primal, and they probably had a discussion off the record. Okay, guys. If you're still polling under 5% and you haven't won anything or come close, it's time to get out. And if they did that, that would knock the field down to basically Trump, Rubio, Cruz, and possibly Carson. At this point, what is Jeb Bush hoping for? He's staying in because he has to. I'm telling you, I am convinced he has to. But one thing we have to do is it's the top of the hour. And the time of the show that many people enjoy is taking it away from all the pressures of who you're going to vote for to what's the best cigar to smoke. Lower our blood pressure a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, nothing lowers the blood pressure like a fine cigar. And uh, we have some great people in this audience. We're going to introduce us. There, uh, there's, there's two or three other things. but Yeah, well, please. We'll, Greek, <laughs> must you always go down the road of vulgarity and sexuality? I, I, I didn't. Is it, only because it was in your mind. Oh, oh, okay. So it was in my mind. I would, I would concur. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, well, of course, as he's done in the past, uh, when Luscious Lou has been busy doing her managerial thing, uh, making those magic fingers, t you know, slide across the keyboard. Notice I said slide across the keyboard so nobody else you were, misconstrues. You were about to say No, I was yes, not. Yes, you were. I, I was heard not. the tea come out hey, of your listen, mouth. Hey, listen, her and I have only had one incident since I've been here at Cutter's. That's it. One incident. And it was not my, it was my fault, but it was an accident. And that's all I'm going to say. Anyway... John Sandella, welcome, John. Thank uh, Merry you, Christmas. Thank you, thank you. Merry, Merry, happy holidays. Yeah, no, and don't, no, no, no. <laughs> All right, cut his mic. Cut his mic. And Merry also Christmas. to our to our Jewish friend over there who celebrated Hanukkah is now over. Uh, have you have you kind of uh, regrouped? I mean, because eight days is a is a lot of pressure. We only have one day. We have to worry. We have about twelve it. days. 
Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's actually yeah. 12 days of Christmas. Yeah, well. I celebrate 12 days. I don't know. Do I do. I, I'm very, very much a traditionalist there. Well, I, I. It has to do with my New Orleans traditions where the 12th night is the beginning of carnival season. So. Yeah. I saw, ooh. But anyway, what better way to celebrate the holiday season, the Christmas season, which it is right now, is with a fine cigar. And we have our big Christmas party tomorrow night, which is going to be outstanding. Tomorrow yes, night from, is. what is it, five? five? till the last person leaves. No, I, I don't believe that. That's what's written on the sign I know out what's, there. Listen, I know what's written on the sign. Now, they may leave willingly or unwillingly. I was going to say, but, yeah. but, I, but if Russ Sutton, well, Russ will leave when he wants to. And I'm assuming that Jeannie will probably say at 3 o'clock in the morning, if Greek's still got his lampshade on and going strong, uh, she'll be taking pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's going to be an outstanding Christmas party, and in the true Suttonian way, which is a term that I phrased, Russ Sutton, the owner of Cutters, does everything in an exceptional way. He he will not do it unless he can do it right and really well. And this Christmas party set everybody up. And th- listen, this isn't just for the regulars. This is for anybody that wants to come and celebrate Christmas Absolutely. at Cutters. Tell us what's in line for tomorrow night. It's going to be outstanding. Our typical event is going to be represented. We're going to have good food, really good deals on La Flor Dominicana cigars. LFD, I'm glad you said La Flor Dominicana instead of LFD because there's still a lot of people from the 60s and 70s that hear LSD. LSD. And they I think that's <laughs> to, to yes. clarify. Settle down. Settle down. What's um, your name? What's your name, by the way, sir? Rob. Rob was great. Rob comes in. I have. I may have seen Rob in here before, but he was getting ready to set up in our spot, and I said, uh, hey, Rob, you know, uh, you may have to move because we're going to be doing a show right here, and this is where we need to be. And he goes, so what? <laughs> I love his attitude. He said, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to set up where I want to set up. Love the guy. He's got he's got uh, game, as we should say. But chutzpah. anyway, enough of Rob. Chutzpah? Chutzpah. 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 There we go. I can't say it as well. But uh, one of the things that we are doing for the first time in no, not for the first time, but in a long time, we are we're going to have live music, uh, a duo, jazz duo. They're I believe drums and and guitar. Are they like Christmas music? Yes. Regular, awesome. regular customers. Here. Jazz. Yes. Jazz, Christmas and jazz. What a great. So we're going to have musicians. We're going to have food. We're going to have incredible Cigars. specials and La, La Flor Dominicana. Lito Gomez is one of the truly great gentlemen of the industry. He's one of the newer members of the, uh, to borrow a Cruzian phrase, the uh, Dominican cartel. Yeah. He's been finally welcomed into the, the official Dominican cartel because of his love and appreciation and respect for cigars and for the Dominican way. Absolutely. And so Lito Gomez is going to be represented here at LFD. So what a great way for the holiday season. And, you guys have been knocking it out of the park with specials for Christmas. So if you're still on the fence with your Christmas, you know, gifts. Oh, gi- oh man. Anything from gift cards to cutters to lighters. Humidors. Humidors. You name it. We, we've got it for the cigar, either aficionado or new person getting into cigars. We've got ev- everything. That You're not supposed to inhale, Greek. <laughs> Except for a respirator. We, yeah. We don't sell respirators. But anyway, also you're doing a great thing all the way through Christmas is you're giving a gift away a day. If you – 25 if, days of Christmas raffle. Um, saw the basket are, up there. We we have sold several hundred tickets. We've given away $125 gift cards to restaurants. We've given away um, a silver 
uh, pass to next to next year's uh, Southern Cigar Fest. Festival. All sorts of all sorts of items we've given, but away. nothing cheap. Nothing. I mean, and it's just uh, three hundred dollar um, three hundred dollar cooler by yeah, uh, Yeti. Yeti. Uh, handheld soft sided cooler. Oh man, Yeti is the best. I drink out of a Yeti cup. Uh, Yeti is the best when it comes to, but it's the most expensive and the and the very definitely the high end. But all you, you have to do is. You mean this cup I just hashed on? Really? You, you really? Anyway, so you got the 25 days of Christmas every day at 5 o'clock. John or Lou or someone from the staff draws a name. And whoever spent $25. 50. 50? Anybody who spent $50 here, they get their name in the hat, and that name stays in there. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, okay, we're starting all over again. This is just ongoing. So, ongoing. so I mean, it's just another way. It's the Setonian way, once again, doing everything 100% not only good, but the best. And this party tomorrow night is going to be no exception, and uh, I, I hope you all can make it. But to celebrate, we're doing La Flor Dominicana, so your Cigar of the Week is? Typically, Cigar of the Week is we're all smoking the same cigar. And I thought in the spirit of Christmas, in the spirit of the LFD event, I, I asked you gentlemen what your, what your preference is. And because La Flor Dominicana makes such a wide variety of cigars, I was able to Fulfill both of your orders. Greek, you asked Very for well. a, a Maduro, full-bodied cigar. Very oaky. Very oaky. Colonel, you asked for a milder cigar with, with a with girth. girth. And you got the LFD Lajero 707 single. Yes, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. I've got one that's uh, of great girth that I'm smoking now, the Fat Man Cigar, which, by the way, it's nice to know that you got another box of them in. Lou finagled another box of the Fat Man Cigar, the 7 by 70 Made famous by yours truly. I don't know if it'll ever catch on like the Churchill, but probably uh, not. Probably not. But you know, he it's was very impo- I mean, important. Yeah, and there, there, are, there aren't a lot of men that like to put something that big in their mouth. Day after day, <laughs> as often as possible. Pretty much all day. Yes. Anything else? Chew on the end till it's uh, unrecognizable. An yeah. yeah, octopus. That's that was yeah. a phrase I, to- I yes, coined. Yes, you coined Thank the octopus. You. Uh, Lou, kerneling is a kerneling, process. Kerneling is a process of significant ash on your stomach, shirt, floor, and smoking it down to what someone referred to. I'm probably going back to Rob's days, uh, down to the clip. <coughs> you know, just saying. Until it shrivels up and gets <laughs> soggy and limp. Till it screams really? in submission and That's says, it I give up. No mas. Okay. All right. We get the point. Got it. But anyway, this LFD. Yeah, the great thing about Lito Gomez is he's a true gentleman. True, uh, he was on the cutting edge. He, I believe, he introduced the Triple Ajero to the marketplace for the first time. He also has that one you were talking about, the Nas, the Nas, which is uh, uh, three, basically three. Every component of the cigar is made of Lajero tobacco, which is and the for strongest. The, for those who who are un, unaware, Lajero is one of the, if not the strongest, tobacco leaf on the tobacco plant. To give you an idea, one Lajero leaf in a cigar will make it medium-bodied. Two will make it full-bodied. Three will make it to choke an elephant. So if your whole cigar is nothing but, uh, but he was always on the cutting edge of strong cigars. And speaking of strong, we have the lady of great strength standing right next to John. And uh, he, uh, we referred to the incident earlier in the day. I won't, I won't, I won't go into that. But anyway, Lou and I have had an incident, which we're not going to we're not going to talk about. But anyway, Lou, 
I know this Christmas party this year is going to be over the top and through the roof. It is going to be a lot of fun. We're very excited to be doing our very first LFD event uh, with Sean and to be able to do it to uh, celebrate Christmas and the holidays. That'll be even more fun. So, Well, it's great food. It is. Always have good food. We're going to have great the jazz. I'm super excited about the uh, – oh, goodness, oh, Colonel. Uh, Brian Kelly must be calling. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not available right now. Call me back uh, after you get done with your recruiting trip. Thank you. All right. Well, anyway. So we've got a couple of customers, and John may have already mentioned this. I'm sure he did, that our uh, great jazz musicians. We're very much looking forward to having them in the shop tomorrow for a little ambiance. One was here just a little while ago. And they were both mm -hmm. here a little bit earlier. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be fabulous. So everybody can And it's and open to everybody. Us. Of course. Of course. Because it's the truth. You didn't tell us? Really? Ouch. That's okay. It's John. Somebody's got it's the Grinch. Sir. Somebody's got it. It's the serve. Grinch of Christmas. He has to bring it in. But anyway, so it's going to be a great time tomorrow. Uh, we've got some exciting stuff here, though. I mean, if you're thinking of Christmas presents, this is a great thing about it. You don't have to go to the malls. You don't have to go to Amazon. It's a much more you, personal gift, too. When when you're picking something like this out for someone, it's not it's not like you know a sweater. Um, even if you decide you, you want to give them a gift certificate, it's still a gift certificate of a very specific yes. thing that you know that's personal to them. I As can see, I can see, and, and this is not being sexist, but oftentimes when a, when a female who I don't recognize walks into the store with a blank stare on her face, I autom almost automatically know that she is looking for a gift for a husband or boyfriend and has no clue... She has no knowledge of cigars and is very willing and open to suggestions and learning a little bit about cigars. You know, the fem a female came in earlier and bought, a, bought two cigars for a boyfriend, and then she picked one out for herself. Do you guys keep a database of your regular customers? Sure. So yeah. that if, if, if a wife or a girlfriend wanted yeah. to come in and say, you know, this is so-and-so, this is my boyfriend or my Where husband. smoke? Right. Pull up, pull up his, his so purchase a, history. It's and a great opportunity for somebody who knows that they're. Well, you know, this store is very, country. very female friendly, too. Unlike some cigar stores. Well, I know I've, I've had women actually tell me that the reason they don't like going into cigar stores is because it's intimidating. It's all guys sitting around. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually have. It a, needs to be put up. The lid needs to be left up at all times. That's right. But it has that option. And you can tell the married guys that go in there and come out because they're the ones that put the lid back the up. Lid well, they, they, they put No, they put the lid back up because they know if they don't and their wife hits the porcelain and the seat isn't down in the middle of the night, you will be awakened in the middle of the night and corrected real quickly. But anyway, enough of the potty habits of our customers. The, uh, the, the most important thing is there. this is a very, very friendly environment, a very classy environment. What I like about this, and, and I saw it at a couple other stores, but most cigar stores they don't even say anything when a woman walks in. But if someone's saying something that might be considered offensive, the rest of the staff will say, hey, a lady just walked in, and kind of whisper it. So they're very, very conscientious of being respectful. Unless, and it's of course, not, the lady walks in swearing. Then well, yeah, her off. well, yeah, then they jump right in, and she'll <laughs> grab a cigar and sit down with the rest of them. But the mere fact that the, that the whole atmosphere here, and we're very excited about the fact that going into the new year, hopefully any day now we'll be able to serve spirits and wine. And the idea is that the spirits and wine that will be here to complement the cigar, they will not here to become a bar. And Russ, 
Uh, he's got a new place that's that's uh, being worked out that we can talk about in generalities. It's going to be a store four times the size of this one. But not far from here. Walking distance, no, easy. Not far we're, from here at all. About you can even walk there, Colonel. Well, I prefer a shuttle. You, but may, need, you may need oxygen. He'll bring his golf cart yes. up here. I'll bring my <laughs> golf cart from Mexico Beach. But it's going to have incredibly much more parking. It's going to have an actual bar, which will be open later. So, um, you know. Indoor, outdoor. Indoor, outdoor. We're going to have the most cutting-edge facility anywhere in the country. We are going to be the destination location because Russ Sutton has been working on this for years. He finally put it all together, kept it under his hat. He's been very good about that. But, but even then, he said there's going to be a humidor that people can access from the bar, even though the retail will be closed at the regular retail hours. There will be cigars there because he said, I do not want it to be perceived, nor will it be a bar. No. It is going to be a place where you can get a fine cigar after, after hours and buy it and take it out or buy it and sit down and have a nice scotch or a nice bar. You can get cocktails. I mean, this is going to be state-of-the-art. Hold this, on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I need to correct because people may come in. Right now, we're going to be serving either wine, right, straight, straight, straight liquor, up. or not liquor, um, adult beverages, right, or beer. We're not going to be doing any mixed drinks, right, now. because we don't have obviously in a thousand square feet, you don't have the well, a kosher wine selection. Yes, if you bring it. And if you put the bottle up there and you swipe your card and pay your money, you could drink all you want to, brother. We, we you know, there's no problem there, but it's a good question. Well, how about Settle down, a, Rob. A uh, thing of kosher salt next to the wine, does that count? Maybe. I don't, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I, I think Rob, you know, Rob wants to keep kosher. I get it. Uh, just checking. You know? And he can do it because Russ will gladly charge him by the by the glass. Absolutely. Uh, you for know, his own bottle. For his own bottle. I mean, Dang Russ straight. Russ is very open-minded that way. Yeah. But uh, but the idea is it's going to be a fantastic facility. It's going to be, but it's not going to be a bar. It's going to be a place to celebrate the cigar in a well-rounded way. And I'm as very proud of him for that. As we're talking about celebrating cigars, I'm very proud to announce that by the end of this week, we will be boxing up uh, probably close. Right now, we're at 1,500 cigars that we have collected from vendors, reps, customers, cutters that we are going to be shipping to troops, active duty troops in Afghanistan. I'll tell you what, man, that's what really makes Christmas something special, man. And I'll tell you what, man, and, that, and you know what? This, is, this, this, this really goes back to what we were talking about with some of the people here beforehand, but, but we're going to get into more in this next segment after we wrap up the, the debates from last night. Here's the thing. Christmas to people who are of the Christian faith has has a great meaning but even people who do not who are not christian understand that christmas the christmas tree santa claus the spirit the goodwill it's all it's it's our it's our way as as christians of expressing to you the most heartfelt happiness and joy for the season for you and your family hope love and joy hope love and joy and for those of you who want to strike that from the from the conversation, who want to strike that from our uh, from our lexicon, shame on you. It's not going to happen. Deal with it. Get over it. And if you try to change it, uh, we're going to we're going to fight back, and we're going to get it back. Well, it, you have to also, from a historical perspective, remember that those traditions predate Christianity. Mm -hmm. At the end of the year, the mm -hmm. celebration that takes place at that time of year really predates 
our Christian traditions that revolve around the birth right. of Christ. Right. They were they were basically pagan traditions that they kind of folded in and, well, and the worked Jew- into Christianity and, 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 and to and make Christianity. Traditions that were also right. at the, around that yep. same time of year. Everything kind of culminated at the end. Because of the year. they wanted to make it an easier transition for people, so they they gave them things that they could they could they could hold on to. But regardless, it was the spirit of goodness, of happiness, of fulfillment, of joy of anticipation of a better year. So for all you naysayers out there who want to strike down Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah from the lexicon of our society, forget about it. We're taking it back. You've had too much. Now we're taking it back. It's a celebration of the human spirit. Yes. It is. It is. Very well put. Ben, you have been. I I don't think you've been this philosophical and on point. I'm telling you, at this time of year, something happens. See what happens when you watch all those Hallmark movies? I I think that has a definite impact. It does. It really does. But anyway, John, as always, look forward to it. Looking forward to uh, to your Grinch Grinch outfit tomorrow. Now, remember, the Grinch is green. So you're going to have to. If I eat your food, I will be. Oh, well, you're not eating any of my food. See, I was just just getting ready to offer you. um, See, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I knew I'd live to regret those. Yeah, but here we go. My favorite cookie is oatmeal raisin. Okay, here it is. There's a raging controversy in the oatmeal cookie world. Soft. Soft or crispy. Crunchy. Yeah. I know a lot of people that like crunchy. I like soft. So I said, what if I could come up with the ultimate cookie that would satisfy both tastes? If I apologize on on record, can I have a cookie? Yes, you can. Now, Uh, Colonel, I deeply and, and wholeheartedly offer my humblest apologies for the egregious statement. Well, this is my attempt. I had to try several batches till I could get one. It, it calls for refrigeration to get it crispy and moist. So try the cookie. I've never tasted one that quite touched both. No, uh, Greek, Greek's going to get air. his own. When I'm off the air. But anyway, I'm going to let you try it. But it is, um, it is one of those cookies that I tried to find if there was a way to do both and satisfy everybody to come with the ultimate cookie. How does it work, Johnny? You can be honest. Oh, my God. That's what I thought, man. I was like, I like them soft, but I got to say, the crispy soft, that kind of battling texture. Yeah, I won't even make sarcastic comments about you liking it soft. I won't even say that because this is so good. Well, anyway, so I, so you, that's a keeper then. It's an unbelievable. Did cookie. you did you did you have to alter anything in the batch, or was it more well? The what I did was I, I added a little more butter mm-hmm. in in the batch, the final batch. I added a little more butter. I added a little more vanilla because I, I like vanilla. I added a little more cinnamon because I like cinnamon, because I always felt it was it was it, it you got a slight back taste. I wanted a little bit more of those flavors, but I wanted that crisp. So the first batch I made, I left the dough at room temperature, and scooped it and made cookies, and they came out very crisp. They flattened out almost completely and were very crisp. For those who like them, I get it, but I said no, I want to try something else. So then. You need a tall glass of milk for those cookies. Yes, you do. Really crisp ones. And so what I did was I put it in the refrigerator. I refrigerated the dough for about 30 minutes, and it stiffened the dough up a lot more. And then when I scooped it and dropped it in, it was a little harder to get out of my scoop. But when I did that and cooked it, the cookie didn't flatten out as much. It stayed with a little more height to it. And because of that, I put an extra two minutes on it to give it the crispness on the outside. And as you get into the cookie... It gets a little softer and softer till it hits the middle, and that's what I was looking for. So, so the very good. So the cinnamon and vanilla was fine. Oh, perfect blend. Not near as good as my wife's cigar. Or my wife's cookie. She's not here. You have to that's say all right. that. Yeah, I know. I know. Listen, I, of course. But um, 
Thank you very much. It was very good. Well, anyway, there you have it. John, Merry we look forward Christmas, to seeing you. Merry Christmas, Tomorrow sir. night, 5 o'clock until the party's over, and we don't what know do when. This is a very good full-body cigar. Really enjoy this, John. Thank you a lot. Yeah. I don't know anybody that gets as many compliments on full-body cigars on the floor. I don't. This this has got a depth to that it. Make their that make their mark on full-bodied, and that's all they do. The floor does a full-bodied cigar unbelievably well, but they also do the milder cigar or the medium-bodied cigar exquisitely. I'm smoking an LFD 1994, which would be medium, medium full, on. Unbelievable cigar. Consistent one, quality. One thing I, I taste in, in, in too many cigars, not that I don't like it, but I, I find it very common, is, is, is a heavy cedar taste. Mm, yeah. This does not have that. This is, has a much more depth to it and a much bolder taste. I like this. Would not be a breakfast choice for no. me, but late afternoon, evening after dinner, great choice. Thanks yeah. a lot, John. Have a good one, guys. Okay, Tomorrow night's going to be a blast. I'm going to be here. Are you? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'll be here right at 5 because of the Traffic, 400 yeah. situation. But I will definitely be here. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. But anyway, Greek, back to what we were talking about. Your uh, overall, which was? Well, we were talking about the debates. And, and we were talking about overall your, um, your thoughts on the debate and the way. Well, let's, first of all, how did you think CNN did? If you were to th grade Overall, them. I thought they did a fair job. I, I thought that they, they, they did a, a better job than we would be accustomed to them doing with the Republican debate. I would have expected D to F. I gave them more to a C, C plus. And the reason I didn't give them higher was because they were definitely trying to mix it up between Cruz. They were trying to get Jeb on Trump and Cruz on Rubio and to get to get points, you know, to get to get uh, listener points. I get why they were trying to do it. I thought the best one so far was the one that Fox Business News did. That was they, the debate. They, by far the best. So I hold everything to that. So um, MSNBC got a D to an F. Um, I thought uh, CNN expected. got a C to a C plus. Um, but overall, a much better than I was expecting to give them a D and an F. I did not think they could even come close to being as uh, good as they were even with their limitations. I, and I guess I came away with a guy that disappointed me a little bit. I don't follow him that much. I know he's he's well-respected in the conservative community. But then, yeah, so is Carl Rove from the Rhino community. Oh, he doesn't have a radio But show, Hugh Hewitt, I thought, I, and, and you and I talked about this before, and I thought the way he, he asked that question was a total setup, and uh, Cruz knocked it out of the park. But the mere fact that the audience really reacted in a way that I think caught caught uh, Hugh Hewitt off. Yeah, but in fairness to Hugh Hewitt, as we were talking before we went on the air, um, I think he botched the question in, in the way he asked it. I don't think it was quite as intentional as some might, might think because um, having listened to his show, not, not daily, but, but I at least pick up a good bit of it on, on a weekly basis, uh, he's, a, he's a great admirer of Winston Churchill. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what he was trying to do was to set the question up in terms of are you willing to go the lengths of which Churchill was willing to go to to assure uh, ultimate or complete victory against this enemy the same way Churchill was willing to go to to defeat the Nazis. And by that, he meant the collateral damage of women and children. I think he came out a little too, uh, he, he, he led with the women and children when maybe if he would have 
taking a little more time or led with a little bit of, of Churchill's um, historical right perspective, perspective yeah. it might have been a little bit better. But it, he did botch the question. But I, I, I do give kudos to CNN for, uh, I think, uh, Rubio tried to dodge a question he didn't answer. And uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, and he yeah, I was on citizenship, uh, pathway to citizenship. It's a yes or no question. Rubio went around it, and she came back and said, no, you didn't answer the question. It's a yes or no. And it, now, first of all, yes or no is never an answer to a question in my perspective. I don't think – I think there are very few questions that have yes or no, especially when you're in a debate, because if you don't couch what you're going to say – but I think Rubio dodged completely, and I think she was appropriate for bringing him back and saying, well, okay, yes or no. Um, so I think they did that several times in the debate, which I thought was very good, and that's why I gave him a C plus. So, uh, you know, uh, I guess if it, in, in my most generous part of the season, I might even give them a B minus. Um, as far as uh, any surprises, no. There were no gotcha moments. No, um, there no, were no. no big disappointments, no, no. big um, surprises or, or, or overly impressed with anyone really in particular. Um, I w uh, just come my, my, my gut feeling coming away from the debate was that Cruz has positioned himself right now quite well and looking very presidential. I think he's going to gain a lot of respect because of that. As it becomes as closer and closer to the primaries and becomes a little bit more personality driven, I think he seems to be um, be, be, be in, in, in a better better state than he was at the beginning of the debates in terms of respect that a broader base of people have for him. And if he can involve his wife a little bit more as the process sharp. goes on, I think people are going to be very impressed with his wife and, and her accomplishments and, and, and some of the things that she's been able to do. Um, in, in her past, and she's also quite a looker, by the way. <laughs> I was wondering. No, I mean, you but, yeah, stayed it, away but from the, it. You, you have to. It, it, it matters. I, I, I think that, that that nowadays that that is something that people look at. They they are an attractive couple. Yes, they are, and they're both extremely they intelligent, young accomplished. Children. I think people like that. I think he meets. I don't know if you could, as a conservative, I don't know if you can look to any other candidate. Um, have you noticed that presidents tend to have daughters, not sons? No, I never really looked at that. Well, Reagan, ha Reagan had son, but um, but Bush, um, Nixon, Clinton, uh, Clinton, Carter had a son and a daughter, but a daughter living in the White House at the time. Um, Obama and Ted Cruz has two daughters. I love political humor. So after the debates last night, this political cartoonist, which. I'll tell you what, if you don't subscribe to What's Your Point, if you don't get the articles that we post on there, the cartoons we post on there, I think you're really missing some because we we research 20 to 30 different news sites every day, so we get a lot of different perspectives. And there's perspectives. three of us doing it. So yes. if you're one of these people that only is going to pay attention to the news 30 minutes a week, this might be 30 minutes well spent. They <laughs> They had, in keeping with the Star Wars tradition, they had all the nine Republican candidates lined up, and they got Yoda Kasich, Win Must, <laughs> Princess Fiorina, I'm Our Only Hope, <laughs> Rubio Skywalker, May the Force Be With You, Carson 3PO, oh dear, <laughs> Darth Trump, I'm Your Father, <laughs> Cruz Solo, don't get cocky. 
Jeb Baca. <laughs> Christy the Hut, sit down and shut up. Ran to, ran to Paul. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I mean, you got to love those political cartoonists, man. They, they, they are, uh, they kind of hit it out. Apparently, it, there's a, uh, a Trump Vader video going around that's, <laughs> that's got several million hits. Rush Limbaugh was talking about that last week. That um, it's, it, it, they use Trump's voice, but scenes <laughs> from, from Darth Vader in the different Star Wars movies. I haven't, haven't checked it out, on, but it's out on YouTube now. But, you know, it's very interesting. You know, I, what's giving me even more hope for the Republican Party this year is uh, our favorite go-to gal from the DNC, <laughs> Debbie Wasserman Schultz, has made it openly known that because of the lack of funds for the Democratic National Committee, they are going to uh, – Wasserman Schultz wants $20 million from taxpayers. Well, they're upside down right now yeah. in terms of what they have cash on hand and what their uh, their expenses are, their outlays. And so they want the federal government to give them $20 million worth of taxpayer money to help fund their convention, which is technically available to both parties. The Republicans said, we don't, we don't want to touch it. it. We don't need it. That tells me something. Well, the, how are they going to spin it, though? That's going to be interesting, that, that, that they're the party of the people and they don't have the funds that, that the rich party of the, the elite Republicans have. And uh, I don't think it's going to have legs. I, you know, uh, everyone, whether you're Democrat or, conserv or Republican, realize that these are businesses. And if you're not running your business well, uh, that, that doesn't, it, it, it looks like uh, it, it's, it's pathetic that, that you can be upside, a political, we have two political parties in this country. May, may, I mean, we're not talking about some kook fringe party that, that's right. upside down. This isn't the Green Party that, that's right. broke. This is the Democratic Party. The party in power in the White House right now is upside down financially. Well, that says a lot. It speaks volumes, and it'd be interesting it, to— it, it, it speaks to their nature, I think. Well, I think what's happened is I think a lot of people are disenchanted with the last seven years, whether you're Republican or Democrat. I think a lot of de Democrats are disenfranchised and feel that— Especially the Reagan Democrats, the Blue Dog Democrats, they've had nowhere to go and they felt like they really got it stuck to them this time. And I think that when it's all said and done, if you look at the money where, where Trump is spending his own money, Cruz, over half, well over half of his money is coming in from private donations. Interesting thing about Donald Trump as we get closer to Iowa and to New Hampshire. Uh, about two months ago, Trump made a comment about how he's going to start spending money. There was an article published last week where the money hasn't started to flow yet. And uh, the, 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 the popular thought is beginning to surface that, that he might be a little tight with the purse strings. Mm -hmm. And if he is pushed by a surging Ted Cruz or, or Marco Rubio, he's going to have to loosen those purse strings. Is he willing to do it? Or could his tightness come back to bite him well here's the interesting thing i think about that the question to me is is he being frugal or is he being smart he hasn't had to buy a bit of airtime no he hasn't he's he's really had a lot of free publicity and a lot of free promotion. and rubio's had to spend a ton in iowa it's not helping him that much he's having to spend a ton of money in a lot of places he didn't want to and jeb is just floundering he's spending money in florida not getting anywhere cruz is spending money in florida not really getting anywhere I mean, these guys are starting to really pour the money because they're seeing the end of the campaign. Not Rubio so much as Jeb, and he's got so much money, but he also sees the money drying up. And uh, I think in Trump's case, I think you will see he's really concerned if he starts spending that money because he'll see that 
his poll numbers, his internals. And what we see, what we see are nothing compared to what these political well, operatives I, I, in the party I think party he see. realizes that he probably, in all likelihood, is not going to win Iowa. Mm -hmm. And so they, he's just decided that that's not a place to wisely spend his own money. Nor, and he's going to spend it as, you know, a lot of people want Iowa haven't gone in to win anything else, which is fine when you're not going to win it. But if he were going to win it, he would be, and he did for a long time. Look, I, Iowa, the first one out of the gate. I'm, well, now he's had to back off that a little bit. But here's the interesting thing about polls. There are the polls, and then there are the internals of the polls. And this is what the what the campaign advisors closest to the candidates, they look at the internals and they see, they don't just look at a number. They look at what led up to the number and the specifics of that number. They get really in-depth. That's why they pay so much money for these polls because the numbers you don't see are the numbers they're most concerned, concerned about. And I think right now the internals are telling Trump he doesn't need to spend money. I think once he does, that means the internals are changing. You and I will never see them or hear about them, but that will that to me will be a signal that when you're leading by 30 points, you don't need to spend money. But if you're leading by 30 points and it's very shallow and very weak if, and he's spending money. If he loses those first two contests and he doesn't put money in South Carolina, then I think you have pause for some concern if you're a Trump supporter. Well, it's going to be very, very interesting. Now, a couple other things have happened this week that I think are important to talk about. Top secret. Now, this once again on what's your point. This comes from hotair.com. Top secret classification confirmed. Not not by some political like wonk group. groups. And yet another Hillary Clinton deflection point gets dismantled when an Intel community review of the contents of Hillary's secret server or the count content she allowed to be reviewed have found two top secret classifications, one which has been downgraded, but the other one is still considered top secret because it was missile movement and troop movement in North Korea. So if you look at the Espionage Act, it is absolutely crystal clear, and we read it here. We actually read the law. If you knowingly or unknowingly have any document that's classified or top secret that gets out because of your lack of attention or due to your laxness, you are guilty. And these are from Intel Community Reviews that have said absolutely no question, and you brought up the question, where has Hillary been? Well, I, before I bring that up, I want to also remind people that these um, two different incidents took place after she had been warned and after they had created a law to specifically prohibit this. She did it anyway. Her own president that she was serving under created a law by executive order to prohibit this very thing from happening, and she allowed it anyway. She was operating outside the constraints of her own boss. That is what needs to be driven home with people. She was, you know, Sarah Palin used to use the word rogue, but Hillary Clinton was carrying on a rogue, uh, what would you call it, um, uh, Procedural, her, her, her procedural methods were completely outside the constraints that her own boss had put in place. For Hillary, the third time was clearly not the charm and her aides, one or more of whom had to convert this information from secured systems. They took it from a secured system and passed it on and passed to her in order to transmit it 
over Hillary's rogue server. Now, the State Department, they can continue to challenge the classification, but they can't change it per statute and long series of presidential orders. Orders. Only the originating agency of the information can reclassify or declassify it. In a dispute, the agency requesting the change can't take the declass or take the classification dispute to the director of information security and oversight. They can still push the option, but it will not change the fact the information was classified at the highest levels at the time of this transmission, and they're both still highly classified to this day. She has broken the law. There is no more finagling. There is no more weaseling around it. There's no more what what is the definition of top secret. It's over. It's done. And I truly believe she knew this. And I truly believe she stayed under the wire. Now, how many news sources have put this out there? Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. I, I heard about it last week. Yeah. Uh, but but it's not being reported on those four main outlets that I spoke of earlier. And it's certainly not being talked about in the 30 minutes that these people are gathering their news information from. It's going to be interesting to see when the microphone is placed in front of her, who is going to call her on this. She doesn't respond to Fox News. No. She doesn't even respond right now to some of the people who have been critical of her on CNN. Right. So is she going to go to George Stephanopoulos? Is he, and is he, he, even, he even smacked her around a couple of times in his latest interview with her. Of course, it was softball, but still for Steffi, you know, that, that, that she, <laughs> the journalist. She, she has gone under, she's gone under a rock, and, 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 uh, and it, it's intentional. There's no reason for her to not be out there right now when there's so much turmoil in the Repub- on the Republican side to be out there championing her cause. Especially when we're talking about vetting process and, 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 and data mining and all these things that are going on that involves personal security, that involves rights. And we've got a former Secretary of State who took the highest classification, whether well, there's one higher than TS, but I don't know what version of TS there's toxicity. Tox- Top secret eyes only. There's variations, but top secret, man. I got to tell you, having been in the military, having served in administration, um, you had to go through quite a vetting process before you were ever even allowed to touch top secret. And it, it was a big deal. Top secret. When something top secret came in that we had to deal with, there was a, there was so much protection of that. Darest you make a mistake? Darest you not follow the chain of command? Darest you do anything? You're court-martialed. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That top secret is serious, serious stuff. And now we find out the two. Will it apply to her, though? Well, it, it can't not. And I think this will be the issue that will come up because then they're going to have to say, okay, are you above the law, Madam Secretary? Are you above the law? Will it, resonate, not. Will it resonate with the voter? Well, to the I, I, to the genitalians, no. I, I don't think it's just them. I, I, I think you have people right now that are so entrenched in their ideology, they don't care about what she's done. They're going to vote for her. They're going to support her no matter what. They, they absolutely do not care. I know some, I, I know some very uh, principled liberals who are very much opposed to her nomination, mm-hmm. and, and, and they're very put out by the way Bernie Sanders has been kind of kind of slubbed off by the by the Democratic Party mm-hmm. 
they, I, you know, obviously I don't agree with them or Bernie Sanders, but they believe in the things he stands for and they're supporting him and they're very put off by Hillary. The vast majority of the Democratic voters, I think, they're voting for her because they think she can win and they think that she's going to put forth an agenda that's going to be punitive on the people that uh, it, it all comes down to jealousy and, and the people that they want punished. Do you think case. Hillary is the uh, Trump of the Republican Party? Of the Democratic Party. Uh, yeah, I mean, liken it to Trump is to the Republicans, Hillary is to the Democrats, in as much as she'll get a number of voters that will vote for her despite her outrageousness, despite everything that she said that they don't agree with, just like there are those Trumpsters which will vote for him come hell or high water, no matter how outrageous. And I thought his comment last night, uh, which we talked to briefly, but I think it, it falls into this plane where, you know, the, Wolf Blitzer was trying to tack him down to where you would kill women and children. Really? You would kill women and children, yes or no? That's not a yes or no answer. But he was trying to get that score, that point, you know. And uh, But, I mean, this is, what, this, is, this is where I think we as a voting party, either side, as voters – we we have to t we have to take the blinders off and we have to look at the we, we can't expect change from our government leaders if we're not willing to hold them to a higher standard if you're going to vote for somebody that has a lifelong career uh, track record of corruption and cronyism then you can't complain when you put her in office and they won't because they think they're getting the goodies they think they'll get what they want free health care free college Free this, free that. I won't have to work. And I'll the deficit grows bigger and yep. there's fewer jobs for those people. But that's not important right now. They just see the goodies like Obamacare. It was going to be free health care. You're going to keep your doctor. Well, we're all finding this. out that that didn't come true. And, yeah. and, and we're going to find out that college tuition is going to be a huge problem. And it's not going to come true. It's going no. to bankrupt the country even further. So you have to decide, I think, as a voter, even if you're a liberal uh, or a Democrat and you don't maybe necessarily consider yourself a liberal, are you going to be principled or are you going to uh, vote like you're going to the racetrack to pick a winner? Here's a, here, yeah, that's a great point. I'd like to even challenge each and every voter out there. Are you going to vote for what's best for the country or are you going to vote for what's best for you? You know what? And that's where – and now the two can be synonymous. If you vote for lower taxes because you've been paying too much taxes and you know that if you lower the tax rate, it will help put more jobs on the books, then yes, you're voting both. But you can't vote for lower taxes as the best for the country and then turn around and say, but I want to vote for her because she may not lower the taxes, but she's going to give more goodies. That's not best or for the country. Or she's going to punish one segment of that's taxpayer, right. Take, but not me. So you've got – and that's the that's why – Voting is such a privilege. That is why voting is so critical. Because if you vote only for yourself and yours, then you are, you are really perverting what voting is supposed to be about. Of course it's supposed to be about you. But you as a part of the American people and what's best for this country. And I want, and if you can, if you can truly look me in the eye, and say, I voted for Hillary because I truly believe she's best for the country, and that's what you truly believe, then okay. It's not, I'm not here to change your mind. But if you just, if you vote for any other, if you vote for any other reason, it's what's best for the country, I challenge you to look inside your own soul. 
I think we're so polarized right now that people are also voting against another segment of, of America. There's a resentment of, against other people in this country. The rich. Well, it could be the rich. It could also be on the other side. You could have a resentment about the poor. You, you're tired of them getting free handouts. You're tired of them uh, being uh, being coddled and taken care of and held on uh, to a, on a pedestal. That 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 because they're poor, they're somehow. I forget what Rush. How does Rush describe them as the uh, the sacred poor or the something? You know, the poor that that they're held up as being virtuous. Um, <clears throat> so I think that that goes both ways to a certain extent. But um, you're right that, that at some point we have to decide what the future of this country holds. And, and are we going to, to start looking at candidates in terms of what's best for the nation? And, and you know, I heard and that, and that that entails compromise often. It may not be what you think is best for you, but what's best for the country. And that's what that's what makes voting difficult. That doesn't necessarily you mean. Now, does that mean that your candidate has to be? The one that that gives everything you want. There's well, no candidate. Let, let me ask you, since we're on this topic. Yes. What what of, of the major campaign issues this election cycle? Which one are you most flexible on in terms of a of a, of a compromise? I would compromise. I would certainly not compromise on immigration. I would not compromise. I think it's easier to say what I would not compromise on. Um, I think immigration. I think uh, national security and uh, the economy are three things that are, that are paramount. After that, uh, but, but the I'm economy on, entails a lot of things: taxation, the economy, taxation, uh, um, the corporate um, taxes, uh, corporate welfare, welfare, welfare of all kinds. Um, national security. So is you one haven't of my said what you're willing to compromise. You're telling me what you're well, not. I, well, I'm willing to compromise on the economy and certain things. I'm willing to say, okay, instead of giving tax breaks down, I, I would be willing to compromise and look at other forms of taxation instead of our current tax code. Well, okay, I'd be but, willing but to, that's, that's, that's a compromise. Um, no, I, we'll see, I, I, okay, well, maybe I we have a different idea. I, I might compromise I, I on the percentages is. of tax tax rate increase or decrease, I don't see any compromise in tax raises. I don't see tax raising doing any good. Um, I would be willing to look at alternative plans to helping on education. As far as college is concerned, I would be willing to maybe not give free college, but be willing to make it easier for qualified students. While I would make the money or easier to get and pay back, I might tighten down on the standards to get into college. Those are all co pretty big compromises. Um, most people don't want it. They just want the big enchilada, free education. I think everything you've got to be willing to compromise on national security. Um, I'm willing to compromise in as much as I think we need to do more, but whether we need 50, uh, you know, F-37s or F-35s, 25, and then give to more. Sh I mean, there's ways you can be flexible. But I think on the core issues, I think that I think we have gone down such a path and we're so close to the abyss that I can't see much room for compromise in those areas. Uh, even on immigration, I might be willing to say, you know, look at the numbers that we allow in. Um, are we going to I would I say right now for the next two or three years, I don't think we need to let anybody else in until we figure out what's going on, period. I would I'm be willing to compromise somewhat on the uh mandatory deportation issue. 
that some people don't need to be sent back. And here's the deportation issue that I think is very good. You know, they say, well, my God, how are you going to ship 10 million people back or 11 million people back? What did we find out? Ted Cruz brought it up last night. I believe it was Cruz. That, uh, that both Bill Clinton and George W. Bush deported tens of millions. Yeah, they did it, and we haven't heard a word about it. And why? Because it goes against the narrative. And the narrative is we can't ship them all back. It's not true. I mean, we did it years ago when we didn't have the ability. Well, what was the, the figure, 10 million for Clinton and 3 million for Obama? Yeah, I think he's he's actually deported 3 million. Yeah, but but, but compared to 10 yeah. for another Democrat. Yeah. So between two Democrats, they've deported 13 million back. I think I think 11 million is not. But but that's a big dis- discrepancy between yeah, what is. one Democrat was willing to do and what another one is. And not I'd be interesting to, to see, and, and maybe by the time we we meet again after the new year, I think it'd be interesting to take the numbers of what they deported and let the, what they let in. You know, because and and how they let them in, which I think is different because during the Clinton time there wasn't a lot of illegals coming across the border. You'd have to look at the net number. Yeah, and and I think that would be the interesting thing. But um, I, I might be you. willing to compromise a little bit on the educational process if we were willing to also address the rising costs of education so that government is not continually paying a higher and higher tab as these college professors and stuff become entrenched and they get their tenure and they're making these six figure incomes and it just goes up and up and up and up because the government continues to provide more and more. Well, money here's my them. idea compromising on the education. Do away with the NEA. Because the NEA has only been around since Jimmy Carter. It's not like it's been here forever. And it's only gone downhill since they've been there. You I thought, you're talking, wait, the NEA or the Department of Education? Uh, Department of Education. I, I, they're, they're, the well, it's, it's so hard. They, you to, could do away with that, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, both of them are, I'm glad you pointed out, because if I you think of one, you think to, of, uh, for, I would have no problem with doing away with the National Endowment for the Arts. We don't uh, need welfare artists in this country. Yes, yes, uh, fire them up here. For now, yes, because you're a, a te- you're a former teacher. It is a joke. It places more stress on students, teachers, and schools, and accomplishes absolutely nothing other than encouraging schools to cheat because the test has so much weight on the money the schools get, the teachers? on the teachers' salaries. The student scores on those tests carry so much weight, and they do more damage than they do good. Well, we have a perfect example of that right here in, in Atlanta with what happened with the Absolutely. teacher scandal with the, uh, the pay for, for grades problems. Uh, so, yeah, I, when, when you look at any type of, uh, of a system that's results-based like that, there's always going to be incentive to cheat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when you're dealing with a stacked deck because to s- teachers are trying to teach students on all different ability levels, on all different socioeconomic statuses, and all of those factors impact a student's ability to learn, but yet a teacher is supposed to somehow wave a magic wand and get students from all these different levels with all these different um, distractions to be able to learn at the same pace at the same time and in the same way, and it doesn't work. I think I've always been a believer like the – like the uh, founders originally thought, that's one of those areas where closer to home is better because it, it, yeah. it, definitely, it definitely has a big impact. Now, i got one more question for you, Greek. Um, this is one that's interesting. Carolyn Walker Diallo, she's a judge. She, uh, um, she had her municipal ceremony in Brooklyn Civil Court 
she was sworn in using a Koran. Now, I put that out there. I put that article out there, and I just left it as a generic question. What do you think about that? It's a difficult question because of our First Amendment liberties. Uh, I don't think you can deny someone of faith the opportunity to take a pledge on what they consider to be uh, the religious uh, or the that holds the integrity of their faith. Uh, obviously, the problem I think you see with it, and I see as well, is what is inside that 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 text. See, and that's and where the loyalty of that text uh, commands people to to adhere to. As a judge, you're sworn to uphold the laws of the land and the Constitution. You that's can find your you can find excerpts from the Bible, though, that that tell you your first duty is to your faith. But thanks to Reformation, which has not happened, there is much more leniency towards that, where if Sharia was not in the Koran and not such a instrumental part of, of, the, of their belief, then I would say no problem. Why if, don't all administrators, judges, people who have to take an oath of office, why aren't they taking an oath on the Constitution instead of a religious book? Because they all want to... See, this is interesting. This is the, this is the interesting thing. They all want to swear to God, but this is where you have the problem. I would even compromise so far as to say take the oath to the Constitution. But to me, this is a point where if... Your adherence to the is going to be based on the laws of the Constitution, right? So your right. pledge should—it would seem logical that it would be to that. That would be that would eliminate any loyalties to either uh, to any faith, right? But I think most people would say, like all that. I mean, there's a couple congressmen that have uh, taken their oath of office on the Koran. I get it. I understand that their belief, and I understand the rights of the. The First Amendment, but I also understand that if it is a religion that is seeped in non-constitutional values, then it makes it extraordinarily difficult for me. Now, is she willing to swear that she's not one of the 51 percent? Because if you're not willing to swear to that and you're one of the 51 percent, which is the majority, that is saying that Sharia would be a far better uh, form of justice than the Constitution, it would be easy to see where judgments that that judge would make might fall in line with Sharia versus the Constitution, which to me, I think that as a judge and as a member of the government, under the Judeo-Christian value systems that we have and that the country was founded on, then you have a choice. You can either take your oath of office on the Bible or be sworn in without taking an oath. And but then... Uh, how, how are you sworn in if you're not taking an oath? An oath is a swear. I know, uh, but uh, then you just say you were elected and that's it. I, I, I think the Constitution is, is more palatable for me because um, that's ultimately what you're going to be held accountable to. And I would I, that's a compromise. And, I can and, live and for to sure. me, I think that supersedes in All terms right. of your job, your religious uh, affiliation. All right. There we go. That's a tabletop conversation that, that I'm sure will spark much interest. Now, 
winners and losers for this Are week. Are we doing for the week or for the year? Let's do for the, the let's do for the week and then well, no, your best point home. of the year. Then your best your best and worst point of the year. My my best point of the year, I think, and even as critical as I have been of Donald Trump, that that America is waking up to the institution of systematic career politicians and what needs to be done if we're going to move this country forward that we have to break this stranglehold that career politicians have on our government. I think that's been a tremendous breakthrough for the American people. What's the worst thing that, that you've seen this the year? The worst thing I see this year is the continued encroachment of terrorism on our country. That That is, is no longer a foreign problem. We definitely have to deal with it in terms of a domestic issue. Your winner of the week? Uh, my winner of the week this week. Um, man, I'm going to let you go while I think about my winner of the week. All right, give I'll give go, us your... Okay. Your, my winner for um, the year was this show. The reason I say this show is because we brought literally hundreds of people together. We have done things in a way that borrows from many but creates this new concept of freedom for people to come and discuss whatever they think, whatever they feel, no matter with whether we agree with them or not. They have the open form to express their beliefs in a way that's not threatening in a way that's communicative. And for me, I have learned much more about my Constitution, about history, about what an amazing country this really is, and it's made me even hungrier. So for me, <coughs> the winner was this show. I think the loser has been the American people and San Bernardino to the, to the Marines that were killed up in Tennessee, it just came out that they have finally classified that as terrorism. And it goes to your point, it's terrorism. And we need desperately to stop perverting what immigration is and start going back to the laws that are on the books and enforcing them strictly. Um, as far as my winner of the week, this is kind of cool. We celebrated this week the birthday of the uh, first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights. That's true. It was yesterday. Yes. Yes, it was yesterday. Uh, the, the Bill of Rights um, anniversary, or, or what is it now? 200 and... Uh, 40... No, it was 89, 1789, right? Uh, well, well, neither one of us have great math skills. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, it's, uh, but anyway, con you know, congratulations to those amazing men and the tremendous fight that went on to create this Bill of Rights and how the Bill of Rights almost stopped the Constitution from being... Um, voted on it was the sticking point and thank God there were people like Madison and others that fought vor voraciously after the compromise to sign the Constitution was made and it was an amazing those ten amendments were absolutely amazing and so for me the winner of the week is the American people and the birthday of our Bill of Rights well since you mentioned birthday okay I've got a winner of the week okay uh, and it's the American people as well, but but for more of a of a of a secular um, more of a from the entertainment world. Mm -hmm. Last Saturday, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of Frank Sinatra, who was much more than just a singer, much more than just an actor. He was a cultural icon. When you think of Frank Sinatra, you think of a lifestyle. You think of 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 an image of the American male an independent, uh, a, a, a strong, free-spirited um, man with a zest for life. Um, 
in, in many respects, I think he epitomized what American men were like coming out of World War II, out of the Depression. Uh, he was part of that greatest generation, and he celebrated life. He didn't dwell on, on, the, on, the, on the desperation of the Depression or the gloominess of the war and, and, and encroaching communism. He celebrated the victory of freedom and, 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 and living life to the fullest. And he did live a full life. And, and I think it was a great celebration of, of the American lifestyle and the American man. And he, I know we went over a little bit this week, but I also, because this is the last one of the year, so we can take a little bit of liberties, I wanted to mention one other thing. There's an interesting piece that I posted uh, on What's Your Point. Um, I don't remember, I mean, we are talking about the Hallmark Channel, all the great Christmas movies and everything. There was an absolutely incredible article that was written uh, way back in the late 1800s about, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Well, I thought about that, and I said, you know, today kids don't even think of Santa Claus anymore. Santa Claus has been relegated to the ash heap of that old, that's old school and everything yeah. else. How old so are the kids when they stop, you know? Well, I, I came up with, I went back and I reread and I started thinking after I reread it, because I reread it every year, because it just reminds me of the innocence and, and how people, the way they thought about Santa Claus and the spirit and the joy and what it was really like. So then I turned around and I said, well, let's, let's liken it to what's going on today. So what I did was I took Lady Liberty instead of Virginia. Yes, Liberty, there is an American dream. And I... And I wrote it in the same text and format and style of, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And I wish everyone would take a look at it. I actually put the address on the, of the Liberty, Liberty Island, New York City, New York. I followed the exact format of that editorial. And I want people to take a look at it because I think if nothing else, it'll make you think. And that's my gift to the world for Christmas because it's very uplifting. It's like Virginia was. There is an American dream. And despite all the vitriol, despite all the PC, despite all this, there is still an American dream. And when you put it in that context, I think you'll find it very interesting. I, I think for Christmas, for me, the, the greatest Christmas story of my lifetime, and, and, and we all have probably seen the movie, is the message that comes out of the Jimmy uh, Stewart movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And, yeah. and that is, and we need to be reminded of it at this time of year, that no human being lives their life in a vacuum. Everything you do in some way, shape, or form affects someone else. Your goodness can, trans can transpire from one person down uh, to the next, to the next, to the next, to people that you don't even know. Your goodness, your, your patriotism, whatever you hold true, that affects many, many, many people and never think that your life is insignificant, especially at this time of year. Can I borrow a little bit from this since we've run over it anyway? Dear Editor, I'm 129 years old. Some say there is no American dream. Some say if you see or hear it on what's your point, it must be so. Please tell me the truth. Is there an American dream? Liberty, Liberty Island, New York Harbor, New York City. Yes, Liberty, there is an American dream. She exists as certainly as love, generosity, devotion, and freedom exist. And you know that 
The American dream abounds and gives to you, your life, its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how much more dreary, dangerous, and secularist would be the world if there were no American dream? It would be as dreary as if there were no liberty. There would be no faith then, no patriotism, no hope, no freedom to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except what PC would provide us. The eternal light with what the American dream fills the world with would be extinguished. Liberty, your friends, are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age of the liberal, progressive, secularist, PC world. They do not believe, except they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, liberty, whether they be men or children, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant in his intellect, as compared with the boundless world about him, as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole truth and knowledge. Not believe in the American dream? You might as well not believe in the Constitution. You have our finest young men and women that are spread around the world volunteering to protect the American dream they cannot see. The American dream, but even if they cannot see the American dream, what would that prove? Nobody sees America, but that is no sign that there is no America or American dream. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see the Founding Fathers write the Constitution? Of course not. But that's no proof other than a piece of parchment that they did not write it. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders there are unseen and unseeable in the world. You may attempt to tear apart the American dream and foist it upon it a counterproductive ideology, but there's a veil covering this American dream. Not the most vociferous progressive, nor even the liberal left of all the rhinos that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, belief in the Constitution, love of country, patriotism can push aside the curtain and view and picture the supernal beauty and glory of the American dream. Is it all real? Ah, liberty. In this world, there is nothing else more real and abiding. No American dream? Thank God the American dream lives. And may America live forever. Uh, forever. A thousand years from now, liberty, nay, ten times ten thousand years from now, America will continue to make glad the heart of free people. And Aardvark, too, wants to know if soft cookies are coming his way. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I didn't want to let the show go by without mentioning that uh, one of our listeners chimed in. And well, what did you say? I thought it was very touching. I mean, it, it really, it's the time of the season, and it's an interesting way of giving my Christmas present to the world. You are a, a generous man. Well, I don't know if it's generous, but I think it's thought-provoking anyway. Greek, Merry Christmas to you and your Merry wonderful Christmas family. Merry Christmas to you and your family, your lovely wife. And to all of our listeners out there and all the folks sitting here at Cutters, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night.